the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through this series of trying to answer this question, who are we? Um, and I had mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, I was sitting on the couch with my son, Ander, who's three, and, and he's sitting on my lap, as kids often do, and he's, he's like this close. He's like facing me. And, and at some point, all my kids have done it, where they've realized that I have glasses on my face, and they don't. Uh, and, and it's kind of weird. So they end up, like, he's right there, and he, like, takes them off, and he kind of looks at them. You know, they're very familiar to him, but he doesn't really know what they do. He's three. Uh, and, and he gives them back, and then he asks what they're for. And, uh, you know, it's real simple. Like, there's these lenses that I wear that, that if I see the world through these lenses, it allows me to see the world clearly, right? This is not shocking News to all of you adults, the children left. That's what glasses are for. Um, some people wear contacts, that is fine. Um, but the reality is all of us have these lenses that we understand the world through. And sometimes uh, they're like little pieces of plastic or glass. And, and other times they're just things that we've been told about ourselves, things that we've been told about our church, who we are. Um, we answered this question of who are we all the time through, through looking through many different lenses. Um, and one that, um, that we're going to focus on today is this lens of the mission of Chapel on the Pines. So the last few weeks, we've looked at different ones. The first week, we took the, the big picture view, and it was the mission of God. And we looked at the overarching story of God and where we fit uh, in that. And what we concluded at the end of that sermon was this that we are people of reconciliation. Christ's ambassadors into a hurting and broken world, people of hope, called to be disciples who make disciples. And then last week, we, we went a little closer, and we looked through a different lens, and we looked through the lens of our denomination, called the Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, or the Covenant, and we concluded uh, this sentence, that along with our covenant brothers and sisters, we are followers of Jesus Christ who seek to def not define ourselves by our boundaries, but instead by the core of what we believe. Uniformity is not the goal. Relationship is the goal. We are followers of Christ who believe we are better together and long to see more disciples among more populations, in a more caring and just world. So today we're going to zoom in a little more and say, what does that mean for us at this church? In this place, in time, in, in this location, uh, what does that mean uh, here? But before we go there, uh, more about Monterey, because it was wonderful. Um, I was... Uh, you know, there for three days, and, and one of the really neat things we got to do was, if you've ever been on those bikes that have, like, the electric assist that make you feel like you're in much better shape than you are? <laughs> so there's these bikes that, as you pedal, it makes it so, like, one time around actually does, like, two times the work. Uh, so we went for this bike ride, and the electric assist wasn't even quite enough, but we went for, like, 24 miles. And it was along the coast, um, and it was wonderful. And so and you think the Monterey Coast, and you got the cliffs, and you got the seals, and, and there was like a sea otter out there, uh, and the crashing waves, and the smell of the salt water. And 
as you're going on this trip, there is, uh, there's a lot of fancy golf courses. It, it's part of the culture, right? There's fancy golf courses along, and you get to this one, and we pulled over the bikes, and, and we're facing the ocean. And, and again, the waves are crashing, and, and there's the wind uh, coming off, and then there's like a par three that's like right there. And, and they're like standing at the ocean, and then there's like this mini peninsula thing that goes out, and then they're like trying to, I don't know, get in the cup, whatever you do. <laughs> whatever golfers do. They hit the little, the little white ball, uh, and, and mine would be all over the place, but they somehow get it over there, uh, and these things are like 35 bucks a piece because it's this golf course. Now they're like five bucks a piece, but still, I can't afford to hit five bucks a piece. Anyway, uh, we're standing there looking at this, and we're on the other side of the rope. You know, there's a, there's a rope, and it says, you know, beyond this point, you know, golf course property only. Kind of thing. So we're on the edge of that, and we're taking pictures of this beautiful um, golf course. And one of the pastors... Uh, you know, looks to the rest of us and he says, wouldn't it be great just to like play one round? You know, like wouldn't that be really neat? And I said, yeah, that would be neat. You know, we all kind of agreed. And then we got on our bikes and we started pedaling more. We didn't play around, by the way. Um, And we started pedaling more. But one thing about a bike is you have a lot of time to think. So as I'm going, I start to think and I'm like, I keep thinking of that question. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful to golf on this golf course. And the more I thought about it, I don't want to golf on that golf course. <laughs> like, it's, it's not for me. It, it's, uh, it was very nice, but I don't have the right clothes. Like, I mean, they're all like dressed a certain way. They have like white golf shoes. I don't have white golf shoes. I don't have any golf shoes. Uh, they, they all, of course... Uh, they have all their own clubs. I don't, I don't own clubs. I've never even golfed with clubs that are for, for, for some of my height. Uh, I've used my brother-in-law's clubs, but he's like three inches shorter than me. So, I mean, it was okay. Um, the, the reality is, like, my skill level is not even close to where I would feel comfortable on this golf course. Right? Um, I feel like others would be, like, lined up behind me uh, as I hit for the 10th time on the par three, uh, and, and I hoped it landed not in the water this time. Um, and I, now I'm sure there's like golfers out there that would say like, oh, you just got to play because it's going to help you get better. Uh, you just got to keep doing it. And, and, and how, how would you ever improve if you weren't out there playing? But if we're honest, that golf course is not for me, right? It's fine. They can have their own, like, mission. It's, it's fine. Like, but the golf course does not have me in mind. It's for a certain kind of golfer who's having a certain kind of experience. Uh, and that's wonderful. But the reason I bring this up is that I think many people feel that way about church. Is that they look at, at churches and, and they say the same things I just said. I'm going to read them again. I said, I don't have the right clothes. How, how would I even fit in? Like they're wearing like dress shoes. Like, I, I don't have the right clubs. Like, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been a part of this group. Like, I haven't, uh, I don't know the Bible well enough. 
I haven't picked it up since I was a kid. You know, I'm, I'm using like mismatched golf clubs, but there's people out there that are like, you know, if they've read it all, they haven't owned like an adult Bible. Like I maybe had one as a kid and I kind of remember it. Um, they, they feel like, whatever that means, that their like skill level is not enough to, to come in. Uh, and while that's okay at the golf course, because that golf course, I mean, I, I didn't look it up. I'm assuming they're, they have like a mission statement for their organization. And I'm assuming their mission is, is to have uh, a certain kind of golfer have a certain kind of experience. And however they word that, like that's basically what they're about. They're, they're about uh, people having a wonderful time, and, but it's like certain people. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of churches have kind of become that. Um, so as we answer this question of the mission of chapel, uh, I want to start off by saying um, it's okay if you don't feel like you fit in. Like The reality is a whole lot more people around you right now don't feel like they fit in. So if you feel like for some reason that like you're an outsider or that you're like me on the other side of the fence and you're like, wouldn't it be nice if I could just be like them? Uh, but I don't know if I even want to. Um, you are welcome here. Uh, you are welcome in this place. Um, I know that the people of this church agree. I asked them thoroughly when I was interviewing <laughs> because I didn't want to be a part of a church that people weren't welcome at. And, and they convinced me uh, that they are that kind of a church and, and they want you here. Uh, and I just want to say that at the beginning uh, of this service because I feel like we don't say it sometimes. Like, this is, should be a place that you don't have to have the right clothes, that you don't have to have the right golf clubs, that you don't have to have the right experience in order to be welcome. That's not what the mission of this place is. And, and the reason is, is because we don't get to pick the mission. The golf course has a group of people that get together, and they get to pick what the mission of the golf course is. And they get to say how much it costs and how much, you know, all this stuff. But we as a church, we're actually reliant on Scripture. And we're relying on the teachings of Jesus to tell us what the mission is and who we're supposed to be. And, and all we're supposed to do is be faithful to it. So that's all we're going to do in this service today, is just look at Scripture and look at what God says we are supposed to be. So if you looked at the top of it and you're like, who are we, the mission of chapel? You're like, great, I get to find out. Um, the reality is you get to stick around and you get to be a part of defining that, which I find a whole lot more encouraging than like, here's who you are uh, kind of statement. Um, but let's look here. Um, oh, I'm way ahead. Way ahead on my notes here. I didn't need them. That was the problem. I just spoke. Um, scripture has different like metaphors or images that it uses to talk about the church. Uh, how we think about the church now is like a group of people that get together, that uh, read scripture together and, and study um, things about God and learn about Jesus and live in relationship. This is not anything new. This was going on right away in the New Testament. And, uh, and scripture describes it, describes the early church. And uh, one of the metaphors is, is that of a family. Now, the family metaphor, I think, can be overdone in churches, particularly because families keep things in the closet sometimes that are hidden away, right? 
and families can be, I don't know, there's probably equal number of dysfunctional and functional families uh, out there. So I think sometimes churches are like, we're just a family. And you're like, eh, I don't know. But in Scripture, Christians, it says that we're bound together into a new family, into a new reality that the former dividing lines that of, of their culture and, and class and ethnicity, that those uh, are, are, are away and they're tied together into this new family. Uh, and I just love that, that image. Another one is of the bride of Christ. So uh, believers are described using this metaphor that, that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. Uh, he is the groom and that we are, as a church, as all of us, are his bride who's like awaiting uh, the coming wedding. Like that, you see that metaphor used quite a bit. Uh, and I think that's interesting because I think that's talked about less in churches, but that's, that's a lot in the New Testament. We're also described as a new temple. So the temple in the Old Testament was the place where the priests, the priests went and they offered sacrifices. Uh, and these sacrifices made the people of God, uh, it made them in like a right relationship with God through these sacrifices. So uh, the, the church is described as, um, as people who are making a new kind of sacrifice or celebrating a sacrifice, and that's the sacrifice that Jesus made. So, so we are like a new temple where Jesus is alive and active, and that's the sacrifice that's going on. Uh, but that is also used a lot. You get uh, a few more. You get the, the priesthood of all believers, that we're all priests. Now, Old Testament priests are different than how we use priests today. A priest in the Old Testament literally was somebody who stood between God's people and God and helped like mediate that relationship. So that's what the sacrifice system was. It was the priests entered the temple and they were like the mediator between a holy and perfect God and a flawed people. And it was through the priests that that happened. So now in the New Testament, we are told that we are all priests, that we all can come right before God and, and be right in relationship with him, that we don't need someone else to stand in the gap. Uh, and that's, uh, again, good news. We hear this metaphor of a flock, of a flock of sheep, um, and that is that uh, we are Christ's sheep and, and he is the good shepherd. Uh, we get that kind of metaphor. And then the last one is that of a body. And we hear this uh, a fair amount, but we are, we are all different parts of a body. And, and when we're functioning together, uh, the ears and the eyes and the hands, they don't have to do the same thing in order to accomplish the goals of Christ. And it's the same as a church. That it's okay that some of us uh, are gifted in different areas. That some of us are more like the ears and that other ones are more like the hands. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the ears should feel bad that they're not hands, and that the hands should feel bad that they're not ears, or that we should say ears are so much better than hands, right? Uh, but that's, that's the other metaphor. But when it boils down to it, uh, it really comes down to just a couple uh, verses in Scripture. And uh, I'm going to read them for you here. So the first one is what we call the greatest commandment. Uh, there's a teacher that comes before Jesus, and, and he says, what is the greatest commandment in, in all of the Old Testament? What's the greatest law? What's the best way to follow uh, God and to understand God? And this is in Matthew 22. 
36 through 40. It says this, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then we all got something free, because he continued on and said, The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, that means the entire the Old Testament, what they called Scripture, uh, all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So again, the, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that is, um, in a nutshell, kind of the core of what we're supposed to be. So we're not, we're not like a golf course that can say, uh, we want certain people to have a certain kind of experience. Um, but we are called to love God. Collectively, as a group. We're called to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our mind. That means everything. Like that, That's how they say that in Hebrew. It's, it's saying all of you, your entire body, every part of you should love God. Everything that is you is called to love God. And the second commandment is like it, uses that same word, love. Again, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you understand this, you're in a good place. And if we as a church understand this, uh, we're at a really good place uh, for who God has called us to be. Now the second verse I want to look at is called the Great Commission. Uh, the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, Jesus has come back uh, from the dead. The resurrection has happened, and he's about to leave again. He, he's been walking with his people in this new resurrected body, and, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And, um, and he says this to his disciples. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he leaves. That's the, the final command. And if, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to realize that that's important. At your last words, uh, you don't just randomly throw out there. Uh, if you've ever been with anyone... Uh, who has had the privilege of being able to give last words. Uh, It's a sacred moment. Uh, It's a moment where uh, truth is spoken, and and you can feel uh, someone's heart and their connections. And and in that moment, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he gives them the charge. Therefore, 
Because of that, you know, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I think there's a lot of churches who get one, or you know, maybe like one of these well. And it, it seems to like switch between churches. Some churches are really good at loving God. And they're really good at, you know, the, the worship end of things. And, and sometimes they're really good at like this Sunday morning thing. Um, they can be really good at it. And, and, and then they fall off on like the loving their neighbors. Uh, they can be really good at loving God. They can go and you can have an experience and you can be like, wow, I just feel really close to God. And then you leave and it, and it doesn't matter. And then they just go through the rest of their, their week and then they come back and they have an experience again. Uh, and it's not that that experience is bad. It's that that experience is not it. You know, the, 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 the getting close to God in worship is great, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story goes on and it says, and then love your neighbors as yourself. So go and, and, and receive God's love, and then from that love, overflow. Uh, out, out there. I mean, we can love each other here too, but, like, but the point is your neighbors. It doesn't say only the people in your house. Uh, and of course, later on we're asked, uh, you know, who's our neighbor? You know, and then we get the Good Samaritan story where it, it turns everything on its head. And it says, the people that you thought were your enemies are still your neighbors. And, and some churches uh, focus only on this Great Commission part. They're like, go and make disciples. They're all about like, go, go, go. Like, like we have a mission. And then sometimes they bulldoze people. And, and they don't realize that people are complex. And that a lot of people are hurting. And that a lot of people need, need the, the second part of that first one. They need to love your neighbor and then, and then to make disciples. Uh, but, but if making other people into disciples means that, that you get to bulldoze them, that, then you probably need to work on your own discipleship. <laughs> There's one laugh. That was hilarious. I'm going to say it again. If making other people into disciples means that you get to bulldoze them, you probably need to work on your own discipleship. Amen? And, and discipleship is this awesome term in the Bible because it's a journey language. It, it doesn't mean, uh, like if we had a scale and everyone was like from 1 to 10, it doesn't mean get all the 1s to be 10s right now. It means people who are, you know, 7s or 8s on their spiritual journey, and they're like, I got a lot of work to do, but, but I've been places, God's been doing work in my life, they're able to come alongside people that are like newer to this. And together, this, the 7 is able to get to an 8, uh, as, as the two is able to get to the three. Uh, and it's this journey that we all come to this. Um, and, and what I love about the disciples and, and their journeys in the New Testament is that the way that they changed is by being close to Jesus. That they followed him. One of the uh, terms that the first century world used, and, and I don't remember exactly how it goes, but um, there, there's like this term for disciples that somehow reflects that they're like dirty or dusty. And I don't remember it, and I didn't write it down. I just come off the top of my head. But the term is because they follow so close 
to their teacher and they're dirt roads. So they're so close to their teacher that their teacher is kicking up dust onto them. Like what would it mean as we of a church follow so close to Jesus that Jesus is kicking up dust on us as, as we journey along? So as a local church, uh, really all local churches, including us, including Chapel on the Pines, uh, we're called to be certain things. So I believe we're called uh, to be places of loving devotion to God. We're called to be relational places of protection and encouragement. We're called to be places of developing our gifts for the service of God. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that we're the same in 15 years as we were 15 years ago. It means that we're growing and we're becoming closer to God. Um, it's, the church is supposed to be a place uh, that pursues God's priorities in the world uh, and, and in their neighborhoods and right in their own congregations. So even though our church is far from perfect, uh, I think these four elements... Uh, exist, or are they just being like strived after? Uh, and, and that's good. But I also think, and I, and I won't take as long on this, but I think sometimes people think of themselves as outsiders because they don't know a history of an organization. And, and any organization that really prides themselves like, can tell you their own history, can tell you like who they've been because it says something about who they are. And um, again, the same golf course. I bet if you went in and you talked to some of the pros there, you could find a lot about that par three that I was looking at. I bet you could find out what famous people have played golf there. I bet you could find out who hit the last hole-in-one. It was not me. Uh, I bet you could find it out. I bet you could find out how many had been hit. Like They're, they're going to tell you about who they are uh, to be educated. So I found, and some of you could do this part of the sermon much better than me, but I found a one-page document that talks about Chapel in the Pines history. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of read it to you because I thought it was interesting. So, uh, it, it started off 1940. Uh, in 1940, White Pines was a thriving lumber mill town. Uh, and there was a small cluster of homes there. And they were largely employees of uh, Blagan Mill. And that town had, had a company store, but it also had a red and white two-room building that was called the Community Hall. And uh, this little Community Hall, it was, uh, it was this like rustic kind of structure, um, but it was like as many Community Halls then, it was like the center of town life, right? There was uh, a lot that happened there. There was union meetings, and there was parties, and there was dances, but it was in the same two-room community hall that some people began to study the Word of God together. And uh, there was this desire, especially as children were being raised, that, that the people uh, said, we've we got to like, teach Sunday school. We've got to like, teach these kids about Jesus because uh, they just live far away from, from other churches. Uh, there was no churches in town. So there was a small group of volunteers that felt the need to pass on their faith to their children, and they organized a Sunday school. And that Sunday school is the beginning of what we call Chapel on the Pines. 
uh, starting way back then. It's, it's, it's humble beginnings, but I like it that way, <laughs> right? Uh, the group had no pastoral leadership until 1952. So until 1952, they, they were just teaching on their own. Uh, and, and then a covenant pastor uh, from a nearby town and his wife committed themselves to helping this newly formed church. Um, and the Sunday school multiplied and it started to include a, a Bible study and, and Sunday morning worship services. So early on, there, there was no like worship. That came later. First came the study of Scripture. Uh, and then later on, when they had uh, a little more leadership, they, they began worship services. And, and then the notes say, and weekly preaching. Amen. I like that part. Pastor Bach uh, served chapel for over 10 years, asking only for his expenses to be covered for his trips back and forth up and down the mountain. In 1963, a new pastor was called uh, to White Pines and the community down the hill, which is what everything just says, the community down the hill. During that same year in 1963, incorporation papers were signed with 34 charter members and the name Chapel in the Pines was chosen. 34 charter members. Also in 1963, the same year, several members contacted the developers of the new Meadowmont division to inquire about land to build on. After a lot of prayers and trusting in God, this small congregation was able to pay for the current land that we are on for $6,000. They had uh, about $1,000 saved up, and they took a loan from the denomination for $5,000 to pay for the rest of the land. That's this land. In August of that year, on a warm summer evening, they gathered on this site to dedicate it to the Lord. And they decided to go ahead with their plans to build on the property. The building they decided had a sanctuary, this sanctuary, that sat over 200. I was curious. We have 190 chairs in here today. Uh, so uh, they built this sanctuary, and at that time they had less than 50 members. So they built it for growth. Right? They built it trusting in a faithful God, just like the God we read about uh, in the Psalms earlier. The groundbreaking ceremony was July 18, 1964, and the building was dedicated November 21, 1965. Now, there's so much more uh, that we could talk about in the church's history, but I think even just getting some of that sense of, of why they started helps to answer the question of who are we? You know, they started because they were people that were living in a, in a remote place because of work. They were in a remote place that didn't have a church. And they had a need uh, for themselves to grow in faith. And they had a need for their children and for the young ones around them to grow. And in that need, uh, they decided to do something about it. And they decided to start a church. And uh, I've said the last several weeks that I don't believe that people start churches. 
I think God starts churches. I think God works in people's hearts to start churches. And I don't think that people can sustain churches by themselves. Churches are messy. I don't know how many churches you've been a part of. Churches are messy places. Not, not, I mean, they're clean places, but they are places that are like, a, like there's a lot of people. And, and there's a lot of like stuff going on in people's lives. And, and people have a hard time. And people hurt each other. And people go through really hard times in churches. Uh, without God, I don't think there would be many churches. That's truly what I believe. I think that if God is not active, I think churches close. Um, and, and if we are here right now in this service, and this church exists, and, and we had worship earlier, and, and children are downstairs learning, uh, and the more I talk, the more they learn, so I might as well stay up here. Uh, hey, that's a good laugh. Thank you. Oh, it made me happy. I'm wrapping up. But, you know, I think we... Uh, like are fooling ourselves if we think we're doing this. You know, and if God has us here right now, then, then there's a reason. And that is exactly why um, part of this potluck, or the reason we're doing this potluck, is because I want to do this, this uh, practice together that's real simple and easy and not intimidating. It's nothing like the golf course I looked at. Um, called Head, Heart, and Hands. And we're going to do it after we eat. And all it is is us looking at ways that God has gifted us as individuals. Uh, the head things are just things that we know a lot about. Um, hearts, you know, obviously things that we're passionate about. And hands, things that we can do that maybe other people don't. Or the things that we enjoy doing uh, that other people might not. And we're just going to kind of take an inventory, really, of like who this church is. Not so that... Um, so that we can like hunt you down for your gifts later. Although I'm going to keep the notes, uh, to be fair. And somebody gifted in Excel spreadsheets can put them on a spreadsheet for me. Uh, if that's your, your gift, your passion. Um, but the reality is, I, I think that God has something for us. And I think that God has equipped us for it. So we can look around and we can say, what are the needs? And we can try to fill them. Or we can look at ourselves and we can say, how has God equipped us? And, and what then should we look like? And what then should we do? So uh, in the last few weeks, I had these nice sentences of who are we kind of answers. And I don't have one. Because the answer is that we get to figure that out together. And, and to me, that feels better. <laughs> uh, to me, that feels like like we're going somewhere, like God has plans. Uh, to me, that, that's encouraging. Um, so there's no clear answer right now. Um, God has given us gifts and abilities, and God has plans for us, and we get to discern that together. And we together get to kind of form what this lens is, to use that same lens language. That when other people look at Chapel in the Pines or when people come and they're, and they're new and they don't know anything about us, they're able to say like, oh, I'm kind of picking up on the culture of who this church is. Like we get to do some of that culture forming. Uh, and I love it. I know you're all into like church organizational leadership. Um, if you knew what that was or if you knew that was a thing. Uh, this is good stuff. 
And the reason it's good is because God is in it. And if we just rely on ourselves and our own smarts, then we're, we're doomed from the beginning. Um, but we're not going to do that. We're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to look at uh, ways God has gifted us, and, and I'm encouraged by that.